it's going to be hell for whoever's stepping in because I've learned, I've maintained this behavior for so long. It's, it's worked for me. I've, I've, I've been able to get what I want. So why am I changing? You right. have the problem, not me, <laughs> you know, from the child's perspective. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sis Stop Sulking podcast, a safe space for women that prioritize their health, their self-love, and their goals. My name is Miss Tasha Talks Life, and I guide you to your dream life faster, to those same things, your health, your mindset, your self-love, and your goals. And today we have a guest, a new friend um, that we are meeting together. Hi. <laughs> Sykes, and let, we're gonna, before we get right into it, we're going to allow you to introduce yourself. Welcome, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here to dive into all things mental health. Um, and special education, if we can. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, yeah. this is great. So, yeah, so so we're talking about mental health, and there is so many layers. There is so much to it, right? There is so, so tell us a little bit about your lane and exactly mm -hmm. what you do. So I am the founder and owner of Nest Behavior Consulting. It is a behavioral health agency, and we pretty much provide therapy for children who have a primary diagnosis of autism. Um, and, you know, families come to us, whether it's through their insurance, and sometimes we they come to us through the school district as well. So we have insurance funders and school district funders. If you come through the district, it's kind of, you, not only do you have, you don't have to have autism, you can have any behavior that's impeding on your ability to learn and requires a behavior consultant or some sort of special education support. Um, so that's usually outlined in a child's IEP, their individual educational plan. Um, we'll pretty much let the parents know you need behavior support, whether that's uh, um, parent training, one-on-one -on -one with the child in school or after school extended day services. So th that's how we come in. So that's what I do as far as you know, providing therapy to children. Um, and outside of that, um, what makes us so unique is that not only do I want to look at, and I train my, my team to look at the child um, and providing support for the child, we also look at the family, the family as a whole and what they need. Um, and, and really not providing this cookie cutter approach of therapy services, but um, being personable, being being allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and really attach ourselves to to the families that we are um, providing services to. I love that. So if um, a parent is um, if receiving your services, it's because their, their child is already a part of your um, your program or your... Yeah. So they either find us. Sometimes you can call your insurance company and you're asking for a therapy. Our therapy is called ABA therapy. That sounds... that. Um, stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. It's the therapy specifically approved through our insurance for children who have autism diagnosis. So if you have a primary autism diagnosis, um, you can ask your insurance provider for an ABA provider. And sometimes they point, if you're living in a local area where we're servicing Nassau County, Suffolk County, Brooklyn, Bronx, and Queens, we would be on that list. And then we have contracts with school districts in Long Island, Nassau County and Suffolk County. So if they see us fit for the particular job, they would also call us and introduce us to a student who is in need of services. And from there, the relationship begins with our family. Got it. So then at that point, you offer these extra services to the, to the parents. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. And the reason why I'm asking is because um, I'm in, well, and those that know me that, you know, you've been here for a long time. If not, you're going to find out today. Um, I am a retired teacher from the classroom, um, mm-hmm. specialized in general ed and special education. And so I am very familiar with yeah. like IEPs and all of that on the education teacher side. And right. then um, I transitioned to outside of working um, Tasha Talks Life LLC. And I started doing educational consulting as well for students awesome. with autism. So I'm learning the outside of, okay. you know, on the other side of it. And, and, and honestly, I feel like it's such a need what you're mm-hmm. doing and what you're offering the families, because mm-hmm. even with myself, I have two cases um, and the parents, they just don't know. And they just, and just be, and I'm grateful that I do have the knowledge that I do. I'm not by any means like special, but I've been in it for 14 years where I can at least help, you know, give some type of tips. And then I'm a researcher and, you know, so, but (laughs) but to actually have that included, if you will, um, I think it's so important. I think it's so necessary. So kudos to you for that. I love it. I love it. Um, So tell me just a little bit, because I'm like a story girl and I like to know like how stuff starts. And like, so tell me a little bit about how, um, Nest Care, did I say that correctly? Nest yes. Care came about. Okay, so Nest Cares is the nonprofit that gives us all this extra stuff. Um, so Nest Behavior Consulting was launched in 2018. So 2018, 2019, I'm building. I'm figuring out, okay, how do I get these contracts? What do I need to do? Um, and prior to that, I started out as a behavior consultant. So I was the girl walking into your classroom and trying, asking you what child you needed assistance with. Now, as a behavior consultant, we focus on classroom management, right? Working with the special education teacher to establish management as a whole. But then you have these one or two students who they're just, the classroom management approach is not working. So then we we single them out to, to, to um, provide like FBAs, functional behavior assessments or behavior plans if needed. So that's what I did. And I, I was really good at my job. Um, the last particular job I had, they called me in to develop a whole special education classroom. Um, so really from the ground up. And it was so intense. Mm-hmm. And from that experience, I learned a lot about what happens in the classroom and what happens outside the classroom, what happens behind those closed doors in those meetings. Mm-hmm. And what was very consistent to me was that parents had absolutely no idea how important their role was in their children's education. They were not asking the right questions um, and they were not following up properly. And it just left so much control on on the school system, which yes, I believe that our special education system, you know, in our schools, we all, teachers, they do the best that they can. But at the end of the day, it's a business, right? And um, sometimes in my opinion our kids don't belong in the special education classroom in the public school system they need to be placed somewhere else but how do we get to that conversation so i was very limited with getting to that conversation because of the way that i was contracted into these these schools so i plainly playfully i told my supervisor i want to start my own business and do it differently and she said go ahead. <laughs> she told me, go ahead. I don't know if she thought I was serious at the time, but I really was. And she gave me all of her credentials and I figured it out. So in 2018, 2019, I'm setting the groundwork and then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. So when COVID happened, I was like, okay, well, can't do anything now. <laughs> <laughs> so the schools were closed. Everything was shut down. Um, but what stuck out to me was I asked myself a question. So are you going to hang it up? Are we going to quit? 
And I kept going because our children still existed. They were still in need. It was just a new dynamic. And that's how the nonprofit Nest Cares came about. Mm. So with Nest Cares, we started to give out sensory boxes to children who, to some of my old clients, just filled with um, face masks, hand sanitizers, you know, COVID essentials, and sensory toys. Our kids were so happy to get those things in the mail that we started sending them out every season. <laughs> and from there, it just grew. Like now we have three programs under Nest Cares where we continue to send out the sensory boxes, which has revamped to sensory bags. Um, we have a copay program where we have a fund where we're trying to reach $100,000 so that we can give provide grants for families to cover their copay expenses for behavioral and mental health needs. Um, and we're trying to develop a, a therapeutic home where children can go and family and treat the family as a whole and get all the therapy that they need in one place. And we want a home setting because it's unique and it's real life. We want to mimic real life. Like, what are you going to do outside of the classroom? What are you going to do outside of the therapeutic office? So that's our way of looking at the family as a home. Oh, my God. Like, I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here like. Calm because I know that I can't get too amped because then I'm gonna mess up the audio between you talking. Yeah. But, oh my god! Yeah. Like that is amazing. I doing think, a lot of work. Oh my god! I'm so blown away, and I think that that is just not. It's so amazing. God bless you. Yeah, um, you. It's so and just like I said, being on the other side of it, I see how much like the sensory toys mm -hmm. are um, are attractions for them and so necessary to help to get them to you yeah. know just focus and just transition and just you know get to doing and just to calm them like so many mm -hmm. different reasons. Um, <laughs> and I, I just I love that. Um, I absolutely. Um, that's just so dope. I think that that's amazing. So kudos for you. Um, to you for that, Desiree, because Thank you. And and I love the in-home aspect, right? Um, not only, like you said, is it different, but it also gives that, um, because we already know like students that have special needs sometimes have, um, um, when they're in like a new environment or if something doesn't feel comfortable or something that it takes a while for them to warm up. And so, so it's all amazing. It's all necessary and more. And I think after COVID, a lot of things was uncovered. Yep. I think um, I think also parents were were able to really see what their kids and this is not just on a special needs part, but just in general, what mm -hmm. they knew, what they didn't. I think a lot of parents didn't understand that their students may not be able to read as well or right. maybe struggling in certain areas for whatever reason. They could be working two jobs. They could, mm -hmm. be, you know, whatever they could not be. Um, as I worked in a title one school district, so it was a lot of low income. It was a lot of, but it also, there was some, you know, mm -hmm. um, some students that were thriving and families that were good and everything like that. But I saw various levels of it. Mm -hmm. And I think even for myself, like my kids were a little bit younger, but even for myself, I got to see, you know, another side as even as a teacher and being home, teaching from home and then having kids that have to go on too, and, you know, yes. all of that. So I think COVID definitely opened up a lot of people's eyes. Mm -hmm. um, it also set us back, <laughs> right? It set us back um, where it just it just seems like, and, and you know, I'm tired of them using the, the excuse now. I mean, it's been a couple of years, but right. to have this for those that are in need that have, you know, because imagine the parents that are home with their students and they don't, they have not been diagnosed. Or they don't know and they just like frustrated and 
So let's talk to that a little bit about like, you know, just a, a parent just dealing or what are some indicators or give mm -hmm. me, you know, something that we can maybe identify or just to know or just, you know. Yeah. It's a good thing that you brought that up. Like, that's a good thing because I, I think COVID uncovered a lot and it allowed parents to appreciate like the services that they were getting from school or the lack or identify the lack of services. So it forced us to ask questions, right? So the question you're asking me now is how do you know? Not only how do you know, but really working with parents to accept. Like there's sometimes it's a cultural barrier. Like we don't want to talk about my child having any disability because that's not acceptable in my home, right? Because of what because of who we are, we're proud, or it's my culture, whatever it may be, doesn't take away from the fact that the child is in need. But um, we have to be sensitive about those conversations, right? Um, and I think as educators, tr always being in a position to learn uh, how to approach, culturally approach those conversations is extremely important. Um, but what I would say is the child's milestones, right? Having everybody on board. So your pediatrician, having your regular pediatrician visits to ensure that the child is meeting their milestones. Um, when your child is transitioning maybe from pre-K to kindergarten, kindergarten to first grade, you those are when you usually start to see a disrupt, uh, you know, their schedule is disrupted. How are they adjusting to that? Um, so the lack of, you, you may be getting called a lot from school for behavior. Maybe your child is having temper tantrums, eloping, and we want to punish our kids. Like, why, why are you calling me? Uh, why is the teacher calling me to come pick you up from school or whatever the case may be? Um, we got to take our time and really understand what is the functions of those behaviors? Why does, why do you keep running away from, from um, your, your teachers? Why are you throwing temp, temper tantrums in class? And then we get to start to analyze how we're teaching what's mm -hmm. happening before the behavior, what's maintaining those behaviors, and how can we adjust the environment to, to, to see a different change in behavior? Um, and really looking at treating the behavior instead of punishing the child, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a big tip. <laughs> yeah, no, that is. And I, I think I think that, uh, so when you were talking about that, I was thinking about number one, when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. So different. <laughs> Right, like we listen, okay. We could, <laughs> and then on the flip side, that like gentle parenting, right? right. And so it's like it, there, there is common ground. There is a middle, right? I and, agree. And because I don't know, and this is a sidebar. The gentle parenting thing, like my my little ones, they can't even tell you like the last time they got a spanking or anything. But I think. <laughs> Gentle parenting is just, I just don't even like the way it sounds. Like it just. <laughs> mm -hmm. I get it though, because but, it's hard consequences, really what gentle parenting is. It's like yeah. you're making the decision for yourself. And yes. I, as a parent too, I get, sometimes I ask myself, how am I in this field when I have a short fuse with my kids sometimes, you know, because why are you doing that? But what I've learned professionally and, and as a mom is giving your kids consequences is so important because it takes you out of it instead of, oh, my mom is, I'm going to get in trouble because my mom or because she's, she's going to be angry. I'm not angry. You didn't do X. So that's why this is happening. So if you don't yeah. want this to happen, you are responsible for making another choice and yeah. really giving that back to them in any situation. And it's a life skill. 
So it it adult, if I don't go to work, I'm not getting paid. So I can't be mad when payday come around and I don't get paid because I chose not to go to work. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's so funny because my oldest son, he's 21 and we literally grew up together. So mm-hmm. a lot of things that he sees, he's like, that could never happen to me, you know? And I'm like, whatever. But as an educator, um, my patience has mm-hmm. increased with my own kids, right? Just knowing like, if I can't, Spank little Jojo, you know what I'm saying? Right. You know, I don't have to, <laughs> I can use the same strategies and the same mm-hmm. thing, you know. And I love, I, I just laugh about when I say gentle parenting because the way they right. make it seem is like, you know, it's like you're soft and you let the kids oh, right, exactly. everything, right? So I don't use that term, but I actually have conversations. My kids, they have a voice, they're allowed to express, but mm-hmm. they just know that they can't, it has to be with respect, right? right? And then I, I, like you said, with the consequences, what do you think? You mm-hmm. know, not saying that it's going to be, but I just want you to think about what, you know, and then you have one because kids are so different. One, right. just on the thought of it, he starts crying. The other <laughs> one is like, I know. You know, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> and it's so important to be, to have your kids be expressive. Like, I know for me growing up, like I come from a West Indian family, so it, you're going to do what mommy and daddy told you to do, right? There's not a lot of room for expressing. (laughs) So my last two years of high school, I actually moved to um, Massachusetts with my sister and the culture of the school that I was in, I went to Newton South um, High School in um, Massachusetts. It was totally different. Like I was in a classroom with students who were going back and forth with the teacher and really being opinionated. And it was crazy to me. I was like, mm-hmm. teacher told you to do X and you you got a whole philosophy why we need to do A. Yeah. And the teacher listened. You know, I didn't I that was new. And but it was I had to play catch up. I had to play catch up because not only was yes it was a culture shock, but it was a life skill that I needed. So how are you going to negotiate contracts if you if somebody tells you no and it's no. No, no, turn that no into a yes and this is how you're going to do it. Right? Yes. So And they're learning that, you know, kids are learning that from a young age. So I think that gentle, yes, I agree with you. I hate the word gentle parenting. (laughs) Assertive parenting is is important and and allowing our kids to have a voice. Yes, for sure. Advocate for yourself. I tell my kids all the time, like, you're your first advocate and then I will advocate for you no matter what. But if I'm not there, you are your first advocate. If somebody's messing up your name, you can tell them how to say your name politely without adult, kid, whoever, correct them on how to say your name. You know, just just anything in that sense. And if you feel like it's okay, like, just know I will support you as long as you're respectful and whatever, I'm going to support you and you're not going to get, you know, whatever. But uh, but yeah, I think it's very important. And I, I see a difference. I see mm-hmm. a difference in, and that's why I feel like, honestly, that there is hope, right? There is hope. There's a, there was a gap where it was like these kids, like my sons, the 21 year olds now, it was almost like everything was, um, I'm depressed, I'm stressed out, or I can't do this, and this is the end of the world, you know? And it's like, wait, what? You could have yeah. never been raised in the 80s. Like, <laughs> you don't want to spoil them. You want to give them responsibility. I get it. And I think being a parent by yourself is hard. Like, um, like when I'm in my professional bubble, I know exactly what I'm doing, right? People can come to me for, for insight or leadership and I can execute. But then with my own kids, I struggle. Like my son was diagnosed with ADHD and from really young. And 
even though he was diagnosed with ADHD, I still had certain expectations. So I had to really reel back and follow a plan. Like, listen, like I'm the one creating plans for others. And now here I am having to tell myself, follow somebody else's plan, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that experience gave me a first row seat to understand when I create a plan for another student, you know, in my work life, how important it is to get mom on board, not only to read her the plan and let her, you know, understand it, but really understand how it's going to look in your home. What I yeah. need you to do to execute outside of the classroom. So when the child comes back tomorrow, mom and the mom and teacher are on the same page, right? Yeah. Um, and that's really going to show a change in behavior when they know that what, what's happening outside of the classroom is going to be followed up at home and mom and teacher are communicating and executing. That's a, that's powerful, you know, but, and then I had to do that as a mom. Like I had to follow through. I had to step back and allow consequences for behavior or just space to learn, space to make mistakes. I had to learn that. Yeah. Then I have a daughter who has, you know, her, her struggle. She suffers with um, social anxiety and anxiety. And that's a, that's a new thing for me. Mm -hmm. So I know what it looks like professionally with the child who I'm working with for one to two hours and then I'm out, but now I'm living with it. So what does that look like? And, um, you know, making sure that she has the resources that she needs. So that's another thing, not being ashamed to talk about those things, not being ashamed to go, go and get help and put, putting your kids in therapy is not a bad thing. Right. We, we say like, oh, I don't, you know, you don't want to put your kid in therapy because it might look like the parent is doing something wrong. But honestly, like there are some things that your kids are going to need outside of you um, and, and not being ashamed of that really yeah. allowing people, people who, and sort them out. Like just, don't just get any therapist. That's For sure. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's important. I think that, yeah. I, I think there, I'm an advocate for it. Um, I, even if it's not specific to like, sometimes like you got to date around, like that's how right. I, that's how I explain it to yes. people. You have to go on, if it doesn't feel right, you have to use your, you know, whatever. And then you switch off and as many mm -hmm. times as you need until you find the good fit. So mm -hmm. but my question is like, as a parent, like you talked about earlier, how parents sometimes, um, you know, they, they're in denial about the right. needs of their students or their kids or whatever. And now, now they, they got this diagnosis and now um, they right. don't know mm -hmm. how receptive or not initially are the parents when you're coming to them with, okay, I can help you. I have some, uh, what is it called? Um, parent, um, parent training. Mm -hmm. And you know, how receptive are they? Well, by the time they get to me, they've accepted it. So when they're come, by the time they get to me, they're asking for services or it's been offered to them in school. Um, so prior to that, uh, what we want to do is, under the Next Cares umbrella is create those support groups. So, and walking parents through, understanding their IEPs. But what I would say to every family that's newly diagnosed is it's a good thing to be diagnosed early on. It's a it's a sad thing to be diagnosed early on and you're doing a disservice to your child not getting the help that they need. Now, I know for a lot of families too, we don't want to be labeled. We don't want that label to, to, walk, to walk with us. But we have to also change our perspective. Let that diagnosis work for you. So with a diagnosis, there are a lot of more, there are a lot of resources that you now have access to that you didn't have access to without that. With the diagnosis, you can go to your school, you can get something called a 504 plan, depending on the diagnosis. That plan will give your child additional resources, whether they're testing, maybe they need breaks during class. My son needed breaks and it worked for him. Um, maybe they need to sit in the front because they're distracted. 
um, that doesn't, those, that's nothing. Those are little things that you can implement now that you have this diagnosis that is going to make a world, a life-changing effect on, you know, have a life-changing result in their school life. Mm -hmm. um, or you get an IEP, right? For so, so for more severe diagnosis, you have an IEP. These are legally binding documents between the school and the parent, but what the school is saying that we have to service you, the services that we have to provide to the family. And hold them to it. Get your services and mm -hmm. fight for your services. And with that diagnosis, you now can have a conversation and get additional services covered through your insurance. Get everything. Mm -hmm. So instead of paying out of pocket or, you know, having to go to therapies that are sometimes misleading, you have access now because of this diagnosis to ask certain questions, um, to vet certain people. And um, it, it's not it's not a negative thing. The negative thing is you get this diagnosis, you do nothing, and the child suffers. And now the child is 15, 16, 17 years old, and those behaviors have now been maintained for all those years. So another thing about behavior, and it's not the person that we are treating, it's the behavior. So if the child has learned for 10 plus years that if I engage in problem behavior, I'm going to get access to what I want, right? And that could be anything. That can be tantrums that then turn into physical aggression that then turns into getting kicked out of school and I'm fighting mom, right? Um, if I've learned that over years and years and years because I never got the help I needed, by the time I'm in high school and mom is trying to get me help, it's going to be hell for whoever's come stepping in because I've learned, I've maintained this behavior for so long. It's, it's worked for me. I've, I've, I've been able to get what I want. So why am I changing? You right. have the problem, not me, <laughs> you know, from the child's perspective. So we also have to be very careful about, about that too. Um, you know, and it's a hard decision to make. It's a hard thing to accept when you get a new diagnosis. And that's why, again, treating the family as a whole, you know, taking care of, you know, mom and dad's mental capac capacity, making sure that they are full in order to execute the needs of the child. Yeah. So I have two questions because yes. this is so good. This is so, so good. <laughs> um, so I have two questions. My first question is, I don't forget my second question. My first question is, if we even back up a little bit further, like, because as an educator that's been in the field and stuff like that, sometimes I, I, you can see like from little kids in your family or, right. you know, people that you encounter, you can see maybe like the lack of eye contact or you can see certain things and you would dare, you would never, right. Feel like, um, you know, do you, right. but how, that's the thing. Like, not for me, it's not for me to say, but if a person is in denial, mm -hmm. right. And they, um, they may be something there or not, but mm -hmm. in the beginning, what does like what would that look like for see I'm a, I guess because I'm educated, I'm always like comparing the, not comparing in a way of my other kid did this and my other kid but just knowing what I know about development and things like that you could say all right get the, my baby was five weeks early premature I'm gonna get him that special mm -hmm. um I forget what it's called that took my tongue right now where they do an evaluation five mm -hmm. months ten months and they do it until they say okay he's good to go he's meeting his milestones right. like that but like if you if you're just a person that's literally in denial, not, not of your own, mm -hmm. what do you, or how would someone else maybe support them or, mm -hmm. or is that even a thing? So educators are really important because as a teacher, you have our kids, our teachers, they, you have our kids for most of the day. So teacher recommendations are so important. They get the parent to start asking questions if they're not. 
and then going to their pediatrician. The pediatrician is also key because they're writing the diagnosis. Yeah. Um, Even earlier than that, though, like, because I know what you're saying about in the school for sure, like kindergarten, first grade, second, the teacher definitely would be like, okay, because they've got 20 to 30 kids coming through. So they'd be like, okay, we have this. We recommend, and you know, schools don't like you to say anything about going to the special ed department and asking for an assessment, but we can say, you know, you could go to the pediatrician and see, you know, whatever, whatever. But like earlier than that, because if you can catch it pre pre K, Mm -hmm. right, then that is a good start also. So is there, is there an answer to that? Yes, but it's difficult. See pre pre K earlier than that early intervention is like for more severe behavior. So your pediatrician is going to catch it if it's severe, right? So mom and mom and dad is going to see it if it's severe. It's it's in your face. Um, but sometimes at an early age when it's not severe, your doctor doesn't even want to diagnose because we're not even giving the child a chance to grow, right? So my daughter had a late, a very late um, speech. She had a speech delay. She didn't start speaking until maybe four. Um, and now she can't stop talking, you know? So, but, so we don't want to cripple our kids when they're growing. So that's why it's important for everyone to be on board. Your family shouldn't be ashamed to talk to you or, or feel hesitant to talk to you because it starts in the home. Your doctor, your educators, um, and family, that, that's that's where the child is going to be first exposed. You have to pay attention. So if the doctor misses it, misses it, if mom and dad misses it, your educator is going to see it. So pre-K, kindergarten, first grade is where the teachers are really setting, looking at those milestones. So again, when I was telling you in the beginning, Parents are not asking the right questions. So if you're waiting for the teacher to say something to you and they happen to, then great. Maybe you don't even, you're not aware, but walk in asking those questions, walk in knowing those milestones. And you should know those milestones because if you're taking your child to regular pediatrics visits, um, they're they're taking track of that anyway. Um, but in school is where we start to see the social skills, where we see the lack of eye contact. Are they initiating play with others? Um, can they, can they sit independently? Are they able to take turns appropriately? You know, what are, what does bathroom skills look like? Are we going to bath to the bathroom regularly? Are we wetting ourselves, you know, um, at an, at an inappropriate age, you know, how are we learning? So those things are outside of PEDS office. That's, that's the classroom. That's the, that's our world. So, um, I would say educators are really important I, before that it's, it's the family unit as a whole. Yeah. And um, the other question, I, I, it'll come back to me, but I also know um, in my, from my experience with other educators, and this may not be everywhere, but sometimes <laughs> it, it, it appears that the students that, um, that may be struggling, mm-hmm. right. And um, that may be struggling. They may have uh, a disability, but because they're struggling, they're more on. They're more on them. Meaning, mm-hmm. you could have a student that is very bright right. and displays some of those same behaviors, but because they're not failing, or because they're not, they don't. It's not a. It's not a concern or a flag. And that, for me, was a problem, right? Because yep. I feel like. You know, even 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 if sometimes students just misbehave because they don't understand and they don't want to do it. So it doesn't mean that they need special ed or whatever. Right. But because this student is not um, may not be reading on grade level and is and is acting out or not, you know, um, doesn't want to do the work. Now it's like, 
oh, maybe there's something else going on, you know, whereas you can have another student who is doing the work, can do the work, jumping around and you call on them and they know exactly where you are. But mm -hmm. there still may be some ADD or something else going on, but because right. they are on par with what's going on, it's not a, a thing. And I, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. What's your take on that? So there's a two approaches. So the school is focused on education. Um, when you get services through your insurance, they're focused on medical. So education, a lot of our kids who are higher functioning, um, like, like you described, they are, they get A's, but they are like academically strong, but behaviorally we need some help. I see a lot of times that those, those kids get, have a harder time obtaining services because we can't find an educational need. The school can't find what's the, what's objectively, why are we providing these services if we're getting A's? It's a, it's a parenting thing you have to discipline your child, right? Mm -hmm. So now it's on the parent to see what is, is there something medically, like, like granted, sometimes our kids do need some hard disciplining. That's straight what it is. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is, um, there is something happening in a, happening at home. Like for example, you might be going through a divorce and you may think that your kids don't notice what's happening. Um, they're they're well-behaved at home, but they're taking out all that aggression at home. Right. I, I mean, at school. the school is seeing it. You're seeing a well-behaved child at home, but they're so angry and frustrated that they're expressing as bad behavior at school. That happens, too. Um, so and I'm sure in school we have counselors who will come in and find out what's happening in the home to try to in the home and school to try to see the help the child as a whole. Right. Sometimes you have districts that are not doing that at all. So we have to really pay attention to our kids. But again, it's still an educational approach. Mm -hmm. The district can only provide services. They're not a medical institute. They're going to provide services to help our kids educationally. We're going to do the, all we can do to promote positive education. Um, with a medical need, it's different. So medically, they call it applied behavior therapy. In school, we call it BIS, Behavior Intervention Services. See, even the name is different. It's still the same approach, but because it's two different perspectives, we have to label it differently. Medically, we're looking at the, the uh, symptoms of the diagnosis, right? We're really, really getting into the symptoms of the diagnosis. What is happening on this spectrum of autism? What does the ADHD and the autism look like together? And we're developing a plan to target that, those mm -hmm. functions of that behavior. And that's why it's considered like the medical approach. Our, our, um, our targets are going to be, um, you know, we're, we're collecting data based off those medical targets. Whereas in a behavior plan, we're collecting data off of the behavior that's impeding on the ability to learn, the educational gotcha. targets. That's, what's, that's what we see in the IEP all educational approaches. Um, but they do kind of go hand in hand. And in, in some instances, in, in my opinion, they're the same. It's just a different approach because of who's how we're building. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still life skills. How are we communicating? If my child is not responding to, and this is some more severe, um, cannot respond to a, an initial greeting. They can't look you in the face when they're speaking. They can't, I, I, they can't maintain um, behavior among array of different staff, only with people that they're comfortable with. Now we're, we're borderline social skills, right? And all of those things are going to affect their life outside of the classroom. And that is what we as a as parents and, and, and educators should really be looking at, the whole picture. Yeah, well, that's good. And so Nest Care, I'm sorry, there's two, you have two, organiza two organizations. One is a nonprofit and the other one is a for-profit. Yes. Um, 
So do you provide either one? I'm just saying, like, is it more one? When I say one-on-one, I meant like one family on mm-hmm. one uh, consultant yeah. or how does that work? How does, what does that work or look well, like? With, with Nest Behavior, it is very personable. So if you were to come to us for, and you were to request services for your child, we would work with you and the child in your home. So, so it's one clinician to a client. Um, there has been very rare occasions. Yeah, go ahead. So that, so the in-home, that child is on home instruction or they're just, um, this is not pre, this is in school. This is not pre-school age, right? Yeah, this it could is- be at any age. So we go all the way up to 21. Okay. Um, yeah. So when we're, when you're coming in to us at, for in-home services, we're working with the child in-home, typically after school, um, one-on-one with the child and then, uh, parent training. We always offer parent training for the parent. And, but there have been some cases where a parent will come to us through insurance, um, but also request services in the school. This opens a conversation for us to have that conversation with their district, wherever they may be. Um, most of the times the district will, you know, push back, especially department of education. They like to push back, (laughs) but it starts to, um, allow the parent to start having those conversations. It opens the door for that conversation. And when they don't push back, we can get, we can start talking about behavior intervention services, the educational approach for in school, um, allow if, if the, if they find a need and we can objectively have data to present that the child needs a one-to-one, we can start having that conversation to have a one-to-one services in the school setting as well. If it's, if it's in the best interest of the child and yeah. there's data to show that it's needed. Yeah. I like that. Now, do you do, do, is there a way, cause I'm just thinking about the many people that need mm-hmm. to hear about just in general, just, just maybe having the conversation, just knowing the questions to ask, just, you know, so do you have like, if a student, if a, if a parent has a child that may, they may be like in the beginning stages where they're getting the phone calls and they're trying to set up that initial meeting or whatever the case may be. Do you have maybe three questions that someone, um, a parent would want to make sure that they ask in one of those meetings? Um, in the beginning stages? Yeah. Like so in maybe the meeting. initial CSC or like, um, mm-hmm. well, one thing that I do want to say is in my experience in those CSC meetings, the family is, the district is reading the 504 plan or the IEP, right? And you're going through the, you're going through it from beginning to end. When you are going through that plan and the, the, the chairman is asking you, are you in agreement? Make sure you're in agreement because you're, you're verbally consenting. You know, these meetings are recorded and you're verbally consenting that you are okay with those services. So I would always, um, one thing that I would give a parent is be prepared for those meetings. Make sure you have a copy of the IEP number one. Make sure you know who is coming to the meeting. So a lot of times in those CSC meetings, it's your chair and it's everyone who is has a hands on the support. That could be your physical therapist, your speech therapist. Do you know the goals that your child is learning when they're with the, the PT or the speech? Ask for that data. Ask for verbal feedback. What's the progress from the last time we spoke? Um, really good districts um, that I know we work with some really good districts. They already have that prepared um, and they, they hold us accountable, but there are some districts that if they know like this, this parent, this family 
doesn't really ask a lot of questions or um, they know that your concerns are not in the right place, a lot of things are going to go over your head and you're not going to realize the lack of services that you have or the lack of support that you you haven't gotten until it's too late, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but realistically, you were in those meetings and you okayed th- these plans. So I would always tell parents to be prepared, read the report and come with questions. And those questions should be, um, in response to that individual plan of what you're what you're consenting to um, in the child's IEP or feedback. If you don't even if you haven't even reached the IEP stage, just the feedback from the teachers. What's happening in the day to day to present what your needs and why you need yeah. them. Yeah, no, it's very important. That's that's very important to because sometimes, like you said, some people just don't. And then there's all the like for me, I would be like, what does that mean? <laughs> CSC, BIBIP, all those little, you know, I mean, obviously we know, right? But if I'm somewhere and they use like abbreviations and stuff, it's okay. Don't, you don't have to pretend like you know, like it's okay. Uh Uh, What does that stand for, please? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. And And then you just speak in layman's terms. Like when I go to the doctor, don't talk to me about no, all of that other stuff. What? Talk to me and tell me what that really is, right? Yes. That would help because sometimes- behavior plan a BIP. Yes, and the BIP is a behavior intervention plan, and the BIP should always come after the FBA, which is a functional behavior assessment. So what the FBA does is it identifies the behavior. So if you're telling me that my child is aggressive, right, and that's an intense word, that's an intense word, but we find these these um these 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 labels, right? are general labels that we apply and my child could be aggressive, her child could be aggressive, but they're defined differently. Mm -hmm. But that's intense for you to tell me that my child is aggressive. I don't want to hear that. So the FBA outlines that. What are these behaviors that are happening? Be privy to that. Ask those questions. How many times did they engage in elopement when they ran away from class? How many temper tantrums did they have and why did they have them? So if they're only having um, temper tantrums in lunch, Mom should ask, well, well, what what does the lunch cafeteria look like? Who's who's walking them to the cafeteria? Are they communicating with my child correctly? Um, get down to the nitty gritty because yes, those targets are gonna follow the child. You know, yeah, we have yeah. these targets this year and they've been maintained this year, they can't just vanish next year. What happened? <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. that's it. being actively involved in every step of the way is important. So you don't miss anything and you hold people accountable. Very good. Very good. No, this was good. And this was necessary. I think, you know, and my question actually just came to me. It's like when you said like the parents and how they're, you know, dealing with this and that they need to be like on the same page and they have to, you know, um, have those hard conversations. And and really, really, I think it's important for these parent trainings. I think I know uh, some districts do where they have like, um, like a big, like a meeting and all the parents can come and then they talk about certain things. And I think that's important. Um, Even, you know, a lot of parents don't show up. There are a lot that do, but I think that it's the conversation must keep going. So um, I appreciate, I appreciate this talk. I I think that um, even we spoke more about the kids, but we're parents, right? right? We're, we're, we're moms and, you know, we have kids and the kids have different needs and you know some are more than others and so it's important to just know and just advocate for your kid right mm-hmm. and and not be in denial about what they may need regardless of how um 
small or or minor or mod or or extreme, right? So yeah, and just to, to piggyback on the parent training, us as educators and consultants have to be sensitive about our approach and how we're parent training. Like parents are not coming because they don't want to be spoken to, <laughs> you know? Parents are not coming because this lecture that you're giving me may not be helping me when I have to deal with severe behavior at home. Like how does this talk help me? And that's why the individualized parent training I love so much because we really get hands on with the parent. What are you going to do the next time this child elopes or runs away or attempts to fight you? You know, what you know, those are more severe um behaviors. But in the moment, ha parent really having that hands-on support, just like we do with the child, right? Parents need that too. Um, because we can read something and then when I'm in the moment of it. Yeah. What you told me to do is going to go out the window if you don't really get into the nitty gritty of how I'm going to execute this program. Um, and, and so so those type of parent trainings where they're one on one with the family, that's what they should be looking like. Yeah. Um, and now and one on one also makes it tailored to the specific needs as opposed exactly. to some tips and tricks or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's good because it, it, it raises that awareness um, mm -hmm. that they may not be thinking about, but it's very surface. So yes. when you get to the one-on-one, -on -one, yeah, I, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I, I'm going to put up your website for those that want to um, mm -hmm. check you out. If you have any further questions or anything, you can reach nestcares.org and also follow, follow, follow on yes. Instagram, yes. <laughs> right? Because it's, and it's, and where I'm, I'm sorry. And on Facebook, it's the same, same name on Facebook. Yeah, so it's Desiree with a hyphen, but um, what my personal pages will lead you to my business page. So if you just Google Nest Cares or Nest Behavior Consulting, you can find us that way too. Um, nestcares.org, we have one website for both entities. So it's going to take you to the homepage and you can get all the information about Nest Cares, the nonprofit, and Nest Behavior Consulting, our for profit, where we have these um, behavioral health services. So it's a lot of information on that website and a lot of resources. Yeah, I was on there and I was like, oh, this is good. I got to <laughs> dig a little deeper, but yeah, no, for sure. So thank you for that. Um, I appreciate it. And don't forget, follow, follow. Um, so this part of the show is where we are going to play a quick game. Okay. It's called the This or That segment. Okay. Okay, so this, so I'm going to say two things and you're going to say the first one that resonates and comes to mind, okay? Okay. All right. Heels or flats? Heels. Wine or cocktails? Wine. Beach or ski resort? Beach. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> lazy river or roller coaster? Lazy river. I'll do the lazy river. <laughs> um, panties or thong? Thongs, honey. <laughs> Read a book or watch a movie? Watch a movie. Makeup or fresh face? Makeup. I like makeup. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Tea. I'm a tea girl. Dark skin or light skin men? Chocolate. <laughs> Sometimes in the middle. <laughs> I should make it three, right? Yeah. Sometimes in the middle because you never know. <laughs> right? <laughs> Pizza or burger? Pizza. Skirt or pants? Skirt. Okay. Morning. 
Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Morning person or late nighter? Late nighter for sure. I gotta force myself in the morning. Yeah. It's a dog. <laughs> like, uh, dogs or cats? Dogs for sure. I hate cats. Okay. And this one is a this one's a three part. Do you have a dog now? No, but maybe I'll get one. Yeah. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> Buddy. This one is three, okay? <clears throat> chef, housekeeper, or chauffeur? I'm going to have to go with chef because I don't like to cook all the time and I love to eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> That's, That's good. Awesome. That's good. <laughs> For real. That was fun. That was fun. Well, well, I enjoyed that. <laughs> yes. So, no, this was great. I like, I really think that this is going, this is so important. This conversation has to keep going. Um, so maybe we can do something alive or something on uh, social media, yeah, just talking about that. a little bit more. I think, mm -hmm. I think again, the conversation must continue and then we could talk, you know, about mm -hmm. mental health. I know mental health awareness is coming up. Was that March? I'm actually, I'm actually putting together a March summit. So maybe we can talk again that time when that continues to unfold a uh, mental health summit. Um, so we're going to be talking about special education and mental health, and we're going to have this conversation and really dig deep with the panel and the audience um, and really have uh, some resources to share. So. Oh, nice. Okay, so now at the end of the episode, this mm -hmm. is what at the end, we always leave with one like food for thought, mantra, affirmation, mindset declaration, anything that you know, that you use to get you through the day or something that, because we write them down, we repeat them. We have a book full. This is like okay. something episodes. So we <laughs> like to end each episode with some type of declaration. So do you have one for us? Well, make time for yourself, um, truly. And when you're having a bad day, just take a breath and give a, appreciate what you've done thus far, right? So if the day is not going as structured, as you would like it, it's still going. There's still a lot of things that you overcome. Just getting up and saying okay or yes to to anything that day, making those decisions. Um, give yourself some grace and mm. always be kind to others because you don't know what somebody else is going through or what they're holding together to be at that point either. So being giving yourself grace and giving others grace is a big one. So true. I love that. Give yourself grace and give others grace because that is that is very true. And people that and sometimes the people may not be having a good day, but it, it's not personal, right? And so just yep. not not meeting people sometimes with their tit for tat or frustration with an attitude. Sometimes you can even soften them up by saying you have a great day or giving them a smile or something like that. So yeah, I love that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Desiree. Again, don't forget to go to nestcares.org. Um, for more information um, about all things we talked about today. So um, as we end, I want to say that I love you. I want you to be well, be blessed, and know that your past does not dictate your future. Till next time.